the Public News Service Daily Newscast, March 2nd, 2022. I'm Gina Tempesta. With President Joe Biden's first State of the Union address now in the books, the administration is setting its sights on growing manufacturing in the U.S. economy and lowering costs, not wages. Speaking on the crisis in the Ukraine, Biden said diplomacy matters and Putin was wrong, thinking that the West wouldn't respond. At home, support is growing for Biden's pick for the Supreme Court, Kentaji Brown-Jackson. CNN reports that the top conservative attorney, William Burke, praised Jackson, saying she should receive bipartisan support without conflict. Burke is best known for representing several of former Trump White House officials. Over the past two decades, most states have changed laws to expand voting access to people with felony convictions. Still, it's estimated that more than 5 million Americans remain disenfranchised, according to the Sentencing Project. A bill being proposed in West Virginia will restore rights for those on probation and parole. Here's the story. Advocates of Senate Bill 488 say the goal is to help people reintegrate into society after leaving prison. Deborah Ujevich is the Civic Engagement Coordinator for the West Virginia Family of Convicted People. She says thousands of West Virginians cannot cast a ballot after serving time because they're on community supervision, parole, probation, or otherwise still involved in the criminal justice system. It is very, very difficult to get them invested in some of these initiatives because they are not permitted to vote. Research by the Florida Parole Commission has found people with felony convictions whose voting rights were restored after the state changed its laws in 2011 were less likely to end up back in prison, compared with those who were released prior to the change. Opponents argue that people who've committed felony crimes aren't responsible citizens and shouldn't be allowed to vote. Nadia Rumlagon reporting. In Wisconsin, calling for social justice, organizations gathered outside the state capitol yesterday in an effort to draw attention to alleged unethical behavior by Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson. Johnson, a Republican, has faced criticism in recent years for endorsing tax laws that benefit himself. Miranda Stark with Opportunity Wisconsin says that Johnson's personal net worth is 400 times larger than the median American households. Now, this didn't just happen on its own. And it certainly wasn't because of some smart investing. Senator Ron Johnson, time and time again, has prioritized his personal profits over the people of Wisconsin. The Washington Post reports it's difficult to ascribe the outsourced jobs and closed plants directly to the tax cuts, as there are often numerous details that factor into those decisions. The progressive organization American Bridge estimates that the senator's net worth was up to $48 million in 2020. This is PNS. From Feature Story News in London, I'm Chris Jones. The southeastern Ukrainian city of Mariupol is cut off and under siege, according to a representative of a Russian-backed militia. A spokesperson for forces of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, who have been attacking from the west, says they want the city to surrender so that the civilian population does not suffer. Stuart Smith reports from Moscow. Russian-backed forces say a humanitarian catastrophe will soon begin in Mariupol, with residents being cut off from electricity and food. A representative of the Donetsk military, a proxy for Russian forces, claims they have opened a humanitarian corridor for the civilian population to leave the city, but it so far has not been used. He said that regardless of whether people leave or not, nothing will stop the so-called special operation, the only legal term to describe the invasion of Ukraine in Russian media. In attempting to justify the invasion, the Donetsk People's Republic says Ukraine was 
shelling residential areas of its self-declared autonomous territory. Stuart Smith, Moscow. Elsewhere, Ukraine says Russian paratroopers have landed in the city of Kharkiv. Dozens of people have been killed and injured in Ukraine's second largest city in the last 24 hours. It's also reported the southern city of Kherson is now occupied by Russian forces. The UK's Defence Secretary Ben Wallace described why NATO hasn't put in place a no-fly zone over Ukraine just yet. If we had a no-fly zone, it has to be enforced because the Russians wouldn't play by the rules. We know that uh, pretty much from their track record. So they would then uh, find themselves with either British or German or French fighter jets shooting down uh, Russian aircraft. That would trigger an Article 5 response if the Russians attacked us back, which they no doubt would, and then you would have war right across Europe. And President Biden has condemned Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine in his State of the Union address. Kate Fisher reports. It is rare to find bipartisan agreement in Washington these days, but there were several standing ovations from both Republicans and Democrats for President Joe Biden in just the first few minutes of his speech as he addressed the crisis in Ukraine and noted that when the history of this era is written, Putin's war on Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. He announced that he would ban Russian planes from American airspace. The rest of his speech was largely dedicated to domestic issues like infrastructure, tax, clean energy, supply chains and the cost of prescription drugs. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. The Illinois State Fair is announcing part of the Grandstand concert lineup. Some of the acts scheduled for the State Fair in Springfield this summer include Sam Hunt, Brooks and Dunn, TLC and Shaggy, John Party, Disturbed and Sammy Hagar in the Circle. Fair manager Rebecca Clark says they're off to a good start in creating a diverse lineup. That's really important that, you know, we have something for everyone. And I think we're well on our way. We've got a little bit of hard rock. We've got some classic rock. We've got country. It's for everyone. We've still got four nights that we can put some grandstand entertainment together. So keep checking our Facebook page and our website for more concert announcements. Tickets go on sale Friday, March 11th at Ticketmaster.com. The Illinois State Fair will be held August 11th through the 21st in Springfield. Illinois Public Health Director Dr. Ngozi Azike is leaving her position later this month. Dr. Azike became a recognizable name as she helped guide the state through the COVID-19 pandemic. Governor J.B. Pritzker has high praise for his director after her three years of service to the state. I am not putting it lightly when I say that she has had one of the hardest jobs in the world. There is something particularly heroic about the service of an extraordinary individual who did not seek greatness, but found it anyway. March 14th will be Dr. Azike's last day. Her tenure included long hours and daily press conferences during a global pandemic, providing the latest data to the public in both English and Spanish. Azike tearfully spoke of the challenge. I am so blessed to have been able to bring some measure of of comfort to Illinoisans, to quiet some of the chaos and infuse some calm. 
Izike is the first black woman to serve as Illinois Public Health Director. She says she has no immediate plans except to reconnect with family. The agency's assistant director will assume her position until a replacement is found. Governor J.B. Pritzker is asking the state's five pension systems about divesting from any Russian companies. Across the state employee, university, and teacher pension systems, Illinois holds nearly $100 billion in assets. The governor wants to make sure none are tied to Russia in light of the country's attack on Ukraine. have not yet heard back from the five pension systems, uh, and, and that's why I asked them, as I did, uh, to, to look into how they might accomplish that. It's not an easy task, um, and there are a variety of reasons why it's not an easy task, but it's an important task. Governor Pritzker says he isn't sure if the pension systems have any Russian investments, but if so, the state must take action if possible. At this moment, when Russia is uh, a terrible aggressor killing people seemingly endlessly uh, across Ukraine, uh, we need to take action, all of us, in any way that we can, and certainly the state of Illinois, if we have any investments, and I don't know that we do, but if we do, we should take that action. Governor Pritzker says he's waiting for a response from the pension systems. This is Severe Weather Preparedness Week, and the Illinois Emergency Management Agency has some tips to help keep your family safe. It's all about being ready for anything. Having a family communication plan, an emergency kit, and knowing the biggest threats in your area, says IEMA spokesperson Kevin Sir. Some folks live in low-lying areas and they are subsequently maybe used to a little bit more flooding or some of the areas that may be a little bit less protective and during high wind events or maybe even tornadoes, they could be put in danger because of flying debris. Getting set up in case of tornadoes, heavy storms and the like includes putting together an emergency kit with first aid supplies as well as enough food and water for three days. It's also a good idea to get a NOAA weather radio. We also want to make sure that people are alert and ready to go. Make sure that they know the differences between watches and warnings and advisories and know that whatever kind of action happens, they need to take the right protective actions during each level of uh, increased notification. Sir recommends checking out the website ready.illinois.gov for all sorts of information, ranging from what to do during a tornado to flood cleanup. Hey, Steve Harvey here for the Illinois Broadcasters Association. And in a recent survey, the Illinois Emergency Management Agency was asked to name the top five items that every Illinois family needs to have in their home's emergency disaster kit. Check out these answers. Water. Can't live without it. Number two, non-perishable food. Well, after all, a man got to eat, right? Number three, Weather radio, and make sure you got fresh batteries, too. Number four, flashlight. Even more reason to have fresh batteries on hand. Number five, first aid kit. Look, there's no reason to feud over what items to put in your family's emergency disaster kit. Get the answers and more at ready.illinois.gov. That's ready.illinois.gov. Sponsored by the Illinois Emergency Management Agency, aired in cooperation with the Illinois Broadcasters Association and this station. The Illinois Department of Children and Family Services is now accepting applications for college scholarships. More than 50 scholarships for the upcoming school year are up for grabs, says DCFS spokesperson Deborah Lopez. The Illinois Department of Children and Family Services is offering college scholarships 
to current and former youth in care. Four of the college scholarships are reserved for the children of veterans. Recipients receive up to five years of tuition and fee waivers at participating state colleges, as well as money for other expenses. Applications are due by March 31st and can be found at local DCFS offices or the DCFS webpage. At the state capitol, I'm Kim Howard. As the world continues its watch on developments in Ukraine, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack is viewing the situation and how it might impact agriculture and food production. And he acknowledged Tuesday before the National Farmers Union Convention. The reality is we're dealing with winter, we're in spring, things haven't been planted yet, so it's a little early to say exactly what's going to happen. Yet what is known is Ukraine's significance as a food producer, especially grains to several developing nations. A lot of it's exported into North Africa and the Middle East, Lebanon, Yemen, Egypt, Sudan. The secretary thinks if production in and export from Ukraine is disrupted. Who will essentially provide the necessary food so that developing countries that are absolutely in need of that have access to it? He says the U.S. could offer that answer in the form of various international aid and export programs. So our team's currently taking a look at when and if and how, under what circumstances that might have to happen. New investments are designed to give local and regional food producers more opportunities to sell to institutions in the area, institutions such as hospitals, universities, and government-operated offerings. This means that roughly $97 million will now be available for a variety of opportunities to create a stronger local and regional food system. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack Tuesday discussing the announcement virtually at the National Farmers Union Convention. Funding from both the American Rescue Plan and 2018 Farm Bill will be received by two existing programs, the Farmers Market and Local Food Promotion Program and Regional Food Systems Partnerships. We can use these resources to cultivate regional markets. We can support business plan development for those who are interested and excited about setting up a new market opportunity. We want to make sure that we continue to create that avenue, that direct link between producers and those markets. An update on USDA efforts to update rules within the Packers and Stockyards Act from Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack Tuesday. We're working initially on the poultry transparency rule, which is a rule that is going to create greater transparency and clarity in the requirements concerning the poultry tournament system. With Office of Management and Budget Review ongoing, with hopes of publishing and accepting public comments of the updated rule soon. The secretary speaking virtually to National Farmers Union Convention participants says among additional efforts. That will be followed with a rule that we're working on concerning discriminatory, retaliatory, and deceptive practices. That rule is currently in our general counsel's office being reviewed, and hopefully we get that in the very near future to OMB and sometime in the late spring, early summer. Plus work on the unfair practice and undue preference rule in the draft and economic analysis phase. So that we can provide an opportunity perhaps in 2022 for the publication of I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. A new way to have your products delivered at home. Self-driving you into tomorrow, I'm Dave Graveline. The first cabless autonomous electric vehicle for multi-stop delivery, called the Transporter, was announced by Mobileye. The vehicle features a proprietary self-contained hot-swappable modular cargo pod that can carry up to 2,000 pounds of goods. 
The transporter is the result of years of experiments, client testing in mechanical, electrical, and software engineering, and can deliver almost anything from convenience goods and groceries to electronics and medical supplies. The transporter is a self-driving system with a suite of cameras, LIDARs, and radars, and its top speed is 70 miles an hour. The vehicle will improve the efficiency and safety of last and middle mile delivery service and make deliveries more affordable. Join us anytime at intotomorrow.com. Attention! Do you owe back taxes, fines, and penalties to the IRS? The IRS now offers new relief options for taxpayers affected by COVID-19, but you can't go it alone. Call Tax Solutions now. Our team of former IRS agents and tax professionals can get you the best deal. We know the COVID-19 rules. Call us and never speak to the IRS again. I couldn't sleep. We were being audited. I called Tax Solutions now and a great big weight was lifted off my shoulders. I called Tax Solutions now and they got the IRS off my back. Tax Solutions now had my wage garnishment lifted in 48 hours. The virus has caused the IRS to take extensive action to help taxpayers. So if you owe $10,000 or more, this is the best time in years to settle your tax debt. I qualified for the Fresh Start program. I paid less than I owed. Remember, the IRS will not give up until you pay. Call 800-683-9499. Illinois environmental advocates are pushing lawmakers in Springfield to recognize the importance of soil health. The General Assembly is considering a resolution that would establish the second full week of March this year as Soil Health Week and March 9th as Soil Health Day. Liz Rupel with the Illinois Stewardship Alliance says the event will feature a series of virtual talks and discussions with lawmakers, farmers, and experts in the field of sustainable agriculture. So it's an educational opportunity for really anybody in the food system who wants to learn about ways that farmers are building soil health from all the way up in the city of Chicago down to southern Illinois. According to a report from the state, Illinois invested nearly $7 million in soil nutrient loss research and education programs from 2019 to 2020. The resolution passed out of the Senate's Environment Committee with a recommendation to adopt, although the full chamber still needs to approve the measure. Rupel says the event also will be an opportunity for folks to learn more about the state's expansive nutrient loss reduction strategy, which in part aims to keep nutrients from agricultural operations out of the state's waters. The initiative seeks to reduce nitrogen in Illinois waters by 15 percent and phosphorus by 25 percent by 2025. This event and the resolution can be a vehicle to reach those that don't understand how healthy soil can benefit our food and our drinking water. Per the strategy's biennial report from 2019 to 2020, partners in the state's agriculture sector invested nearly $27 million implementing the nutrient loss reduction strategy. Folks can register for the virtual event online at the Illinois Stewardship Alliance's website. Since the pandemic began, enrollment in Illinois community colleges has declined to its lowest point in years. Now one school is working to keep students on track to graduate. City Colleges of Chicago already has launched two major initiatives to get folks who may have left college during the pandemic to return or to keep folks in school who are considering leaving. City Colleges' Veronica Herrero explains the Fresh Start program forgives debts for returning students and the Future Ready initiative offers free education for high-demand fields. We want to make sure that, you know, if these students are, especially if they're doing really well and they want to complete, that we're making completion accessible and possible for them. According to the Illinois Community College Board, enrollment in community colleges across 
across the state dropped from more than 271,000 in 2019 to about 230,000 in 2021, a decline likely partially attributable to the COVID-19 pandemic. In addition to those programs, which are largely designed for current or returning students, City Colleges also is working to attract students who graduated from Chicago public schools in 2020 and 2021, but didn't enroll in higher ed. Herrero says those efforts include financial support, free laptops, Wi-Fi connectivity for virtual education, and additional academic aid. We do everything we can to get the students enrolled in college as they're graduating high school, but You know, we saw with the pandemic that, you know, many of our students were not able to because of family obligations or just all of the issues brought upon them by the pandemic. Harry S. Truman College, one of City College's schools located in northern Chicago, also is partnering with the Center on Education and Labor at New America to develop new strategies to re-enroll folks who have put their education on pause during the pandemic. For the Illinois News Connection, I'm Jonah Chester. Support for this reporting was provided by Lumina Foundation. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Welcome to 2022 Talks, where we are following our democracy in historic times. When the history of this era is written, Putin's war in Ukraine will have left Russia weaker and the rest of the world stronger. Facing pressing issues at home and abroad, President Joe Biden delivered his first State of the Union address Tuesday evening. In the speech, the president announced several new tactics to curb the Russian invasion of Ukraine, including a plan to close off U.S. airspace to all Russian flights. Throughout our history, we've learned this lesson. When dictators do not pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos. Biden also highlighted several infrastructure projects he says will stimulate the economy including an initiative to repair more than 65,000 miles of highway and install half a million electric vehicle chargers across the country. Just look around and you'll see an amazing story. The rebirth of pride that comes from stamping products made in America. The revitalization of American manufacturing. Companies are choosing to build new factories here when just a few years ago they would have gone overseas. Prior to Biden's address, the House debated a measure that would expand health care coverage for armed services members who have been exposed to toxic substances. The $282 billion proposal would link 23 different illnesses to chemicals used in warfare, permitting folks who live with those illnesses to receive veterans' benefits. Texas Democrat Al Green said the bill is a critical measure to support returning veterans. The greatness of America will be measured by what kind of housing do we give them? Do we help them to transition from military life to a job in civilian life. The greatness of America will be measured by the kind of insurance that they get so that they can have the best health care the world can afford. The leader of a partisan review into Wisconsin's November 2020 presidential election has endorsed decertifying the state's results. Biden won the key swing state by a margin of more than 20,000 votes, a win that since has been reaffirmed by partial recounts in two of the state's most populous counties. Michael Gableman, the investigation's leader and a former state Supreme Court justice, told a legislative committee the recommendations outlined in an interim investigation report issued Tuesday would help ensure the security of future elections. When I started this process, when I started this whole procedure, I had no other goal in mind than to find the truth. And while we don't have it entirely yet, we're getting there. Nonpartisan attorneys in the state's legislature have said overturning the election results is illegal, and the proposal has been rejected by the state's Republican leadership. 
Finally, the White House will put out its roadmap for the next phase of the pandemic this morning. The administration says the plan will offer a path to loosening COVID-19 restrictions as case rates continue to drop from the Omicron surge earlier this year. I'm Jonah Chester for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Let's check Ag News on the RFD Radio Network. I'm DeLos Yonke. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer was up six points in February to the same number it had in December, 125. The Index of Future Expectations was up 10 points to 122, best reading since August. The Index of Current Conditions was down one point to 132. A couple of telling issues about the state of the supply chain. Plans for farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago and plans for constructing new farm buildings and grain bins in the coming year compared to a year ago. Despite these higher commodity prices, most respondents said their feelings were either about the same or lower compared to last year, says Jim Mintert at Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And pretty consistently now, I think for the last three months, over 40% of the people in the survey have said, yes, my plans have been impacted by the fact that those machinery inventories are so low. And I think really what people are telling us is I'd buy something if I could do it. You know, what I want is not available or the timing is so far in the future that I feel like this isn't a good time. Jim Minnert at Purdue University. You can read more about it online at farmweeknow.com. Inflation made worse by war, trade wars, and disasters is complicating U.S. agriculture, highlighting the need for a more responsive safety net in the next farm bill according to commodity groups testifying on Capitol Hill. RFD's Washington correspondent Matt Kay reports. All the major farm commodity groups agreed. Title I safety net programs, ARC and PLC, need to be more responsive to market conditions from disasters to wars to trade wars. American Soybean Association Chief Brad Doyle told House Ag members low reference prices failed to trigger any PLC payments to soybean growers during the 2018 trade war with China. If soybeans the second largest crop planted by area in the U.S. did not help get help from Title I during this critical situation. It is hard to imagine a scenario where Title I safety net could provide meaningful help with the current reference price. Producers also complain soybean base acres are set too low versus planted acres, resulting in more than 34 million unprotected acres last year. That, while soaring fertilizer and other input costs, are erasing any gains from higher crop prices. National corn growers Chris Edgington. Prices have soared to record levels, and several companies have unfortunately made a bad situation worse for growers by applying for tariffs to be applied to imports of phosphate and nitrogen fertilizers respectfully. Edgington says NCGA and its state members have urged those firms to voluntarily drop their tariff petitions. But Ag Chair David Scott predicts the war in Ukraine will raise input prices further and squeeze U.S. producer margins even more. I believe that the Russia-Ukraine conflict will definitely exacerbate these conditions because Ukraine is a major exporter of raw materials and a disruption in these exports will surely raise prices 
globally. Both Ukraine and Russia are or were major fertilizer exporters. Scott says when input prices rise but support prices stay the same, U.S. producers will have to carry the cost. Our Washington correspondent Matt Kay reporting. I'm DeLos Yonke, RFD Radio Network. With the RFD Ag Market Summary for this Wednesday morning, I'm Jim Taylor. Corn, beans, and wheat all ending Tuesday double-digit higher. March corn closing at 739 and three-quarters, up 42 and a quarter. May corn up 35, 725 and three-quarters. December corn, 624 and three-quarters, up 17 and a half. March beans closing at 1705 and a half, up 61 and a quarter. May beans up 53 and a quarter, 1690. November beans, 1343 and three-quarters, up 38 and a half. March wheat closing at 10.01 and three quarters up 73 and three quarters. May wheat up 59.84. July wheat 9.67 up 50. March bean oil up 8.80. 463.70. March bean oil 76.80 up 3.91. In current electronic overnight trading, March corn up 15. May corn up 16 and three quarters. December corn up three. 627 and three quarters. March beans in the overnight down three. May beans down three and a half. November beans down three quarters. 1476 and a quarter. March wheat in the overnight up one and a quarter. May wheat up 75. July wheat up 75. And September wheat up 49 and a half. 998 and a quarter. In the outside markets, May Brent crude oil up $7 a barrel. 104.97. The April gold contract down 780 this morning. 1936 even. At the livestock market from Tuesday, April live cattle 140.52 down 90 cents. June live cattle down 65 cents. 137.05. March feeders down a dollar. 45, 156.27. April feeder cattle, 159.80, down 220. April lean hogs, 106.20, up 270. May lean hogs, up 322, 110.87. Cash livestock at the Fairview sale barn this week. Steers, 151.50, the top. That's the RFD Egg Market Summary for this Wednesday morning. I'm Jim Taylor with the RFD Radio Network. Let's check daily livestock news on the RFD radio network for a Wednesday. I'm Jim Taylor. The dairy checkoff recently announced a five-year collaboration with Mayo Clinic to explore research and consumer outreach efforts to improve public health and advance the benefits of dairy. Marilyn Hershey is chair of Dairy Management Incorporated, the organization that runs the National Dairy Checkoff. Hershey, a Pennsylvania dairy farmer, says this is a chance to take understanding the health benefits of dairy to a whole new level. We know we have a powerhouse nutritional product that really helps us. We don't understand the depth of how that helps us. And I think this partnership through the science and the research will help us understand a little more what does milk really mean to the immune system? What does it mean to our overall health and wellness? If this is something consumers are asking, it's information that we can provide them. The five-year collaboration with Mayo Clinic announced this week. Jim Taylor, RFD Radio Network. Good morning, this is Dan Hicks from Freeze Notice Weather with the early morning weather update on the RFD radio network for this Wednesday morning. Mild weather continued across nearly all the Midwest the past 24 hours. Daytime highs across Illinois yesterday ranged from the 50s and the far northern part of the state to the 70s and some far southwestern locations. Skies are partly cloudy to cloudy early today with some areas of fog. Most temperatures are in the 30s. Mild weather will continue across the Midwest today. A few widely scattered light showers are forecast over the region this morning. 
Generally, temperatures will be well above normal, though, again, across most of the area with partly cloudy afternoon skies. Afternoon highs today will range from the 50s in the far northern part of the state to the 70s in the far south. A cool front moving in from the north will drop temperatures down into the 30s in northern Illinois tomorrow, ranging up into the 50s in the far south. Then warmer air will spread back northeastward Friday afternoon into Saturday, with weekend temperatures well above normal across the entire region. No major precipitation is seen through the end of the week across the Midwest. Increasing chances for some rain and a few thunderstorms will occur this weekend as a stronger system pushes through the Midwest. Temperatures will likely cool a few degrees behind this system, but still stay above normal into early next week. Additional precipitation chances next week should bring near to above normal amounts to most of the Midwest. Six to ten day temperatures will start out above normal here in Illinois and cool to below normal later in the period. It does look like a cooler pattern for the 11 to 15 day time frame with near to below normal temperatures across most of Illinois. The trend will be for somewhat lighter precipitation during the 11 to 15 day time period with mostly normal amounts. Once again, I'm Dan Hicks from Freeze Notice Weather on the RFD Radio Network.